Cuyahoga County Democratic Party. This is Cuyahoga Today. My name is Matt Deemer. Please do us a favor. Go to cuidem.com. That's kydem.com. You can follow us for all of our news, upcoming events, volunteer opportunities. Get on our newsletter so you can see what's happening within the community. And please do us a favor. You can email us at mdie at kydem.com to give me suggestions for this podcast. Our podcast today is going to have on Representative Phil Robinson and his legislative aide and former campaign manager, Dakota Bidgood. And they're going to talk about how they flipped a red district to blue, the amount of work it took, the community support, the Dem clubs, the volunteers, the grassroots, campaign finance, and so much more. I hope you enjoy this. And again, please do us a favor. Leave us a good comment on Apple Podcasts and a sincere thank you from the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party. Please make sure you go vote. Vote yes on issue one, November 7th. Enjoy. I am sitting here with Representative Phil Robinson and Dakota Bidgood. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thank you for having us, Matt. Great, great, Matt. Thanks for having us. So if you're watching this on YouTube, which I hope you are, go to Cuyahoga Today or the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party podcast, and you can watch us and you will see who is the representative because he is dressed to the nines, <laughs> Representative Robinson. <laughs> so so just let everybody know, we were sitting here on a uh, group chat before this started, and we're like, is it going to be casual, business casual, or formal? <laughs> and apparently we all got different memos. So <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be dressed, you know, for this great, uh, this great podcast here, well, so. well you're looking good sir you're looking good so okay so what we're talking about today is we are talking about flipping districts red to blue yeah. it's something that you and your team has done you have held the seat even though we're redistricting we're yeah. planning on you holding the seat again <laughs> but before we get into all of that good discussion please can we introduce you guys really quick sure. introduce yourself phil yeah sure so phil robinson um been a state legislator now my third term representing what was house district six now house district 19 uh, my wife elizabeth and i live in solon with two kids who are nine and five so we're definitely on the run a lot um, which is which is awesome watching them grow up and i also serve when i'm not at the state house i serve as a chief impact officer for uh, reading partners a national nonprofit uh, that addresses the literacy crisis in the country dakota Hi, everyone. My name is Dakota Bigood. Uh, I'm Rep. Robinson's legislative aide, and uh, before that, I was his campaign manager when we helped uh, flip uh, what was formerly District 6. Uh, been working in campaigns, government, politics, and advocacy since, since college and just keeping up the good fight. So what district is it now? District 19. So it's District 19. You originally ran in 6. Yep. It's now 19. Mm-hmm. And again, we're going to change this again here in probably a couple weeks. Likely. Yeah. All right. All right. So... Tell me a little bit about this journey. So you were his campaign manager, uh, Dakota. Mm-hmm. When you were coming in and looking at the district, Phil, I'll get to you in a minute. We, we have lots <laughs> to talk about. But, but this is you're, you're the guy who's on the ground. You're organizing the team. You're making sure Phil is at the places where he needs to be and saying the mm-hmm. things that he needs to say. When you were looking at the district, District 6 at the time, what were you looking at? What were you looking at the dem- demographics? What were you looking at when it comes to the challenges to organize a campaign mm-hmm. to win? Well, we were looking at everything and anything. There's nothing you shouldn't look at. You know, you you start with the basic data, the the DPI, the Democratic Party Index, or if you're on the other side of the aisle, the Republican Party Index, you you look at past... What, what does that tra- mean, DPI? So that's essentially tracking 
the results of previous elections to see what percentage of the vote the, the Democrat got compared to the Republican. Uh, and then from there, you get an idea of where the district is at in terms of the voting trends. You look at past elections for those districts, those communities, and you can get really a sense of like how people in those areas tend to vote. And typically, you'll find a, a trend. Sometimes it'll change over time, but uh, it usually takes a long time for those trends to change. So. Uh, but yeah, but that's uh, you start with that. But you also look at demographics. You look at what's happening in the local news, what that community's concerned about, talking about. There's issues that clearly rise up that could be drastically different from the national or even the county area, you know. But you look at that, but and also you get a sense of who, you know, how, how frustrated people are. I feel like is another important part. It's not just what they're talking about; it's what they're frustrated about, because that's. What's the push for a lot of people in politics, you know, where, where they get active is like what they don't like and what they want to solve, you know. Uh, hopefully we can get people to be positive overall, but uh, I'd say you, you start with those things and then you work on the, the basic fundamentals uh, after you look at all the data. So so going with what you just said, we ha- you're looking at the landscape of the district. Then here comes Phil. And Phil says, I'm going to be a new candidate. This district has never been Democrat, has never been blue. Um, I'm going to run. Phil, why did you feel that you could do this? Why did you feel that this was the time to run and try to flip a historically red district mm-hmm. to blue and being the first African-American to do so? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it uh, when I first started, I wanted just to back up. I've been active in Solon for a while, just in the community. I really mm-hmm. think that's important when we're especially talking about flipping a district or um, getting people to see their other alternatives to what they're used to. So um, the Solon Democratic Club, which I'm going to just shout out, uh, Eva Webster, who's the president there, has done a great job there. Tom Jackson was the club president before that. Mm-hmm. So really getting active in your Democratic Club uh, is Two amazing really people. important. Yep. Two amazing people. Um, and now Tom Jackson's a school board member, and Eva runs the Solon Democratic Club. And that was really important, having a foundation, a common place where Democrats could come together. Um, and so having that in the community when people ask, what's the first thing? It's finding people com- with common values who want to get something done and mobilizing Democrats there. Solon hadn't always been Democratic. It had been Republican, then maybe slightly uh, what people would call purplish or in the middle. Um, and so we really have worked over the last 10 to 13, 15 years to really turn it to where it consistently comes out almost 70% Democratic now. So what was your message? Like when you went into this, you're like, this is what I'm going to talk about. Yeah, you were there, but they were still red. Yeah. So what did you say? And even though you were visible, yeah. why would they vote for you? <laughs> like, what did you say to make them go, nah, that's the dude? Yeah. So it's important for folks to know I ran in 2016 mm-hmm. um, and I just had my butt handed to me. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I ran against uh, Marni- uh, Marlene Nelski in her last term and the party had recruited me to run. I ran. I said, sure. Um, and then we ran to this uh, person called Donald Trump. Um, and so in 2016, um, I saw firsthand going door to door that something was happening. Something was different. Um, and then we lost. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, well, that's cool. I'm done with that. Um, and I remember the party called in 2018 and said, hey, do you want to do it again? Well, two things. One, I started a new job. Mm-hmm. And two, our son was going to be born like literally two weeks before the filing deadline. Whoa. Uh, and so I remember saying, well, that's not the conversation I want to have with my wife uh, while she's getting ready. Like, hey, by the way, we're getting ready to have a child in the moment. How do you feel about me running for reelect or running again for office? Um, but, you know, the thing that was different this time around is getting people in the community. And so it all started sitting around a Panera table. Um, I was sitting there with Tom Jackson. Shout out to Panera. <laughs> Panera and then Solon. Uh, it, was, uh, it was the unofficial campaign office. Um, and we were just putting a piece of paper. Okay, we know we're running against a, a person who had been to state rep before, who'd been chair of the Republican Party, was a good fundraiser, who was supported by Larry Householder. 
Um, most people told us we didn't have any chance in the world. Which uh, they usually do. <laughs> that, you, you know. <laughs> that, that's just how politics go. It's like, right. oh, you're going to run against this person? Ah, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. Right. People tell us you're going to lose badly. Um, yep. And the only person who believed was Tom, uh, my wife, and then, of course, uh, when we met Dakota. And mm -hmm. so we thought, well, there are three things people care about. Um, equality, opportunity, and freedom. And we knew at the end of the day, if you can translate those things to everyday kitchen table issues, we had a shot. Um, and we said we can't control some dynamics, how much money's thrown into the race. Mm -hmm. But what we can't control is how hard we work, mm -hmm. make sure we outwork that the, the other side. And we wanted it to be when uh, we ran against Jim Trakas, when he's going to sleep, we're working. He's going to the bathroom, we're working. We wanted to constantly knock on doors, work, get the message out. And we went everywhere. And I remember back in 2018, that's when you started to see digital, whether it's Facebook or Twitter, really coming into its own. And we, we invested in that early during then. And we believed if we had a shot of being able to uh, have a, a chance to talk to you, have a conversation with you, we had a shot of maybe getting you to think differently about it. And we knew we needed not only Democrats, but some independents and Republicans. All right, let's talk about that money, Dakota. Uh, how much <laughs> money did the opponent raise in 2018 uh, compared to you guys? Oh, I, I forget the exact stats, but I feel like it was, what, three to one, four to one? Oh, yeah, we raised maybe 150, and I, I want to say... Um, Trick has raised at least half a million, of, and that was just <laughs> he at least raised two fifty to three hundred just Ooh. on him. And we're yeah. not even talking about the money from householder and all the different packs, right? So, or, and the outside spending, and the outside dark money spending that came in towards yeah. the end. Oh, there was there was outside money. Oh, yeah. they, when they started seeing the polling, we were closing in, and it got tight. Yeah, we started. Yeah. We could tell. I mean, uh, I remember uh, Americans for Prosperity. They were pretty active. They yeah. had paid canvassers, and they were doing ads as well. And you count that money it was probably could have been closer to like. Seven to one, eight to one, maybe even ten to one. Mm -hmm. That just depends on how yeah. much count. So, so when people look at, and this is something that I experienced myself, and a lot of candidates do. If you don't raise as much, they start calling you like not legitimate. They yeah. say you don't have a chance, and so on yeah. and so forth. How do you make that money stretch? Because look, money does play a big portion oh, in, in yeah. a race, but it's not like you can't win if you are outspent five to one, six to one, as you guys did. Yeah, well, you have to make that money count. Every yeah. dime has mm -hmm. to count. What is the strategy there for making every dime, dime count? Yeah. Well, uh, I'd say one of the first things is you need a strong volunteer corps. Mm. You know, uh, explain that. So, what do they do? Well, volunteers. Not to sound like a broken record, everything and anything. I mean, uh, for example, Rep. Robinson's for our team. Uh, I would. I was fortunate enough to be the paid campaign manager, but. We had Leah, our communications director. She was a volunteer. We had mm. Hutch, our digital director, volunteer. Tom Jackson was sort of our unofficial political director, volunteer. Uh, uh, an old friend of mine from college, uh, Jacob Verdun, he came to help with the campaign. He was essentially a volunteer. Mm. I, think, I think we just gave him some money for transportation, <laughs> yeah. so uh, to drive to the uh, to the campaign office. Yeah. So. You, even with that core team, if you have less money, you need dedicated people that are willing to help. Now, mm. obviously, they couldn't help full time, but they helped when they could, and their help was critical for right. the win. So, I'd say that's a, a big part of that. But also, in terms of just stretching the money, you know, it's like Rep. Robinson said: you have to be smart with your digital ads that they're targeted. When you do a, a mailing, which was one of the biggest costs that we had. Uh, you make sure that it's good, right? You know, uh, regardless of what consultant you work with to do it with, you know, you don't just let them sell you the generic package. Myself and our comms director Leah, we poured over every bale right. and we made it exactly targeted perfect. So. You know, I, th I think you said something really important there is that you don't let them sell you generic packages. There might be candidates that are, or mm -hmm. prospective candidates that are going to be watching this, and consultants will milk you for every <laughs> yes. dime. It's their job. They, that's how they make money. 
but they will sell you anything and to, to get you and it might not be the best thing for you so you have to really have a plan a target and you know a strategy behind every dime that you spend and if you just mm-hmm. go a generic they say hey this man is going to cost you twenty thousand you're going to be broke before you even get to the election oh yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah and so every, every campaign is different every candidate is different we knew all right, he's going to go on radio. He's probably going to do some television. Right. Uh, he's going to probably try to mail us into oblivion. So we mm-hmm. sat around a table and said, what could we do that was different? Right. Um, and so we literally started going from house party to house party, just introducing ourselves, trying mm-hmm. to build momentum there, signing people up to volunteer. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone said, you know, I don't like knocking on doors or I'm not sure I'm in shape enough to do that. Okay, you can write a postcard. Um, you know, I love, I don't really want to write, but I love talking to people. Great, you can knock on doors. Um, I love events. Great, you can help us when we're doing fundraising events or um, mm-hmm. uh, backyard, kind of get to know you events. Um, and then we, we really thought about what's one way we could reach a lot of people um, in a short period of time. And that's where social media came in. And so uh, Leah and Dakota, they really came up with a great campaign where we said, we're going to flip the six. And that became a hashtag. And that's flip literally, the six. I like that. That's literally got to thank Tom in. Jackson, I think, mostly for that particular Oh, did he do that? Okay. I think that was mostly okay. Tom, if I remember correctly. Okay, well, they came up with it. Uh, and and I, I knew it worked because maybe three months into knocking on doors, it was Sunday, it was hot. And there were two ladies walking a dog, and they screamed across the, the street, hey, Phil, flip the six. Love and, it. And we looked, mm-hmm. and Tom and I were like, we're on to something. Like yeah. something's happening. Yep. And so yeah. we just started playing with that, having people cut videos on their phone or on laptops, sending it out to their friends. We're getting on social media. And we started to see some things upticking in the polling. And so we could tell the other side noticed too as well. And so mm-hmm. what we said is, look, we're, you, you know, you've been Repu- rolling Republican for a while. Your life hasn't necessarily changed. What do you have to lose to try to listen to another alternative? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just try to meet them where they were on the issues. And so we really focus hyper on what's happening in District 6 uh, to be able to do. Can you talk more about your strategies on the ground, your ground game, your, your grassroots, and just you know doing it for you know, uh, uh, taking a, a dime stretched to a dollar? You yeah. know? And, and one thing that I've, I've learned that printing is cheap. And people don't really. I think a lot of people don't understand like print how cheap printing is. It's the mailing and getting it yes. out there that's the, yeah. the labor to how to get it to the doors. So, yes. like you said, volunteers. If you can get people to, to knock on the doors, you have that personal touch. You get people on the ground. You get, make that coverage. But if you try to mail that, it's going to cost you some money. But right. what are some strategies that you did to get that coverage to get to make sure that you talk to those people? Yeah, I mean, we try to have what we call captains in almost every city or every different blocks of the district. Oh, so, interesting. So in 2016, we tried to have the paid consultants. We had the small group. That didn't work, to your point. Right. And so we learned a lot from that. So in 2018, we literally, in the beginning, started thinking through, okay, who are the go-to people in the community? Mm. And not necessarily people who have the titles. Who are the people that if they say, hey, I'm with mm-hmm. Matt, people are going to say, okay, well, then I, if you're with Matt, I'm with Matt. Right. Um, and we started building those relationships. And so Dakota was driving around in his car all over the district, introducing mm-hmm. himself to people. So was I. So a lot of the other campaign folks. And we would just build up almost like a group, a list of dedicated people who would be volunteers. And right. every time we met with people, we would say, tell us five other people we should know, who we should meet with, and how could they plug into the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there were incredible moments, like maybe three or four weeks before the election, we had a pizza party. I think we maybe had 20, 30 people writing postcards all over the campaign office. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, when we first started, it was three of us sitting in there. Right, right. So to see that moment mm-hmm. where you're seeing 20, 30 people coming in like, hey, we believe this can happen. Mm-hmm. I remember talking to a woman, Jill Adams in Broadview Heights, and she said, in my entire lifetime, we haven't had a Democrat. Right. We have, we, I don't mm-hmm. even know what that looks like. Right. Um, and so we started connecting with different dem clubs, um, like Broadview, Bre- Broadview, Brexville, um, Broadview Heights, Brexville with um, Bob Belovich and Mike West. Shout out to Bob. Out there. Bob yeah. Yep. Um, and so getting to know those validators mm-hmm. and then them being able to tell you, here's what works in our community. Right. Here's what people care about. 
here's where you go, where's the, the local kind of hangout area. Um, and Dakota was great at this. He would find the, the, the place that everyone goes for coffee mm. and then get everyone mm. to meet there. And then you're yeah. recruiting people while you're there. And we also were data-driven. That's another mm-hmm. way you can beat someone who has a lot of money. It's, okay, for every dollar, where should we, we be to talk to people? Where should we not maybe invest the money in network? Even with the, the postcard uh, party we did, we didn't just send those to random people. We had a, a mm-hmm. list of people of like who we thought we didn't reach out to enough or who we wanted to do a second touch in terms of reaching out to. And those were the people we specifically targeted. It wasn't just just a random list, you know, and, and that's the thing you have to, it's, it's a lot of community working together. You know, I, I think one of the things I'm glad that we did was there were other races happening, some that were also competitive, some that maybe weren't as competitive, but we worked together with those races. We did joint canvas launches together. Mm -hmm. That's how you get volunteers coming together with other, uh, elections. And granted some campaigns, they can be a little bit, uh, they like to hoard their volunteers. They don't like to share them. But I think that's that's a negative overall you know i think you really have to work together because there's nothing wrong with someone that's canvassing for multiple candidates right you just have to do it right and make sure those people are prepared and they aren't just putting a lot of effort in one and not the other you right know? so right that's a very good point and i want to say thank you very much phil as well for passing out my lit yeah. uh, during my campaign oh, yeah, uh, be- absolutely. because um, to be honest with you running uh for a big district it was if it wasn't for your team and your organization your strategies my lit would have, wouldn't have been passed on that side, to be mm. honest with you. And so it was those campaigns like yours and other reps, uh, Sean Brennan, shout out mm-hmm. to Sean, yeah. that helped help me pass out my information yeah. as well, And to, to your point. But I want to talk about more about r- flipping the district red to blue. You said that you're going and finding the best coffee shops where people are, and you're talking to people mm-hmm. there, and, and you're trying to sign people up, Dakota. And there is a fear talking to people that you don't know their mm-hmm. political leaning. You're coming in as a Democrat. You're saying, I'm a Democrat running in a red district. Yeah. Can you tell me about those conversations you had and maybe how you, if, if one, there was ever you know, combating conversations, hard conversations, how you dealt with it, and then how you shaped your campaign to, to have those conversations that might be a little harder mm-hmm. than some people want to have? Well, you know, I think one of the, the first ways to fight against that is to have a good candidate first off. Mm-hmm. You know, not any candidate can do this. Even if you have a competitive community, competitive year where there's a chance for a district to be flipped, it still takes the right candidate. And I think to our point, Rep Robinson, he's he was a strong candidate, still a strong candidate. He was someone that has cross appeal, but also can speak to the core values uh, of the Democratic Party, but also make the case maybe to other people that may not be as active in the party or people that are pessimistic about party politics in general you know i uh, it's never an easy conversation but you have to just go in it being polite considerate hear them out you don't tell them they're right or wrong necessarily but you hear what they have to say and then you say okay you then match the value you find right. the commonality and say well this is where rep robinson is and it sounds like you guys are not too far off and and you combine that just with someone who has general appeal like rep robinson and you can get people who will switch their vote now granted you won't succeed with the like the strong ideologues but there's still lots of people out there that are more independent moderate or undecided and those people are more open than i think sometimes we realize right right rep robinson you came in with now so you guys got elected you are there now but you still have to talk across the aisle you still have to talk to people in your district you just can't talk to dems Mm -hmm. you didn't get there with just dem votes there is people who were consistently voting uh republican gop or independent, or didn't vote, that voted for you and said, yeah. no, I like this guy. I'm going to get yeah. him in, in the office. So how do you continue to talk to them, reach out, 
hear what they have to say, even though there might be differences, mm -hmm. and continue to meet them where they're at so they can have trust in you to be advocating for them in Columbus? You know, that's a great question. I'm thinking about even a, a couple examples that happened before I got elected that kind of poured into it. I remember when we were maybe halfway through the campaign, a group of activists sat us down and said, we think you should take your name off of any of the literature, or excuse me, your face, uh, because we don't want people to know. And they were dancing around it. And I'm like, no, you're a black guy. I'm a black guy. And they're like, okay. well, yeah, we're not sure. I said, oh, okay. So we're definitely going to knock on those doors in that community. Mm -hmm. um, because people only, if, to the extent there is an issue, they only fear what they don't know. And I remember a, a specific story. It was the end of the day. Tom Jackson was driving me. They had a clam bake out in Brooksville, Broadview Heights area. It was the end of the day. Tom's like, do you want to go to this event? you want to go home? I said, let's do one more event. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. pull up in there. There's maybe 200 plus people. I probably was the only black person. Right. And there were a lot of Republicans there. Um, and I remember Tom saying, we don't have to do this. We can just go home. I said, they vote too. It's the last time I checked. Right. And we went in there and we started knocking and people were just looking. And, you know, 80% of this is showing up. I mean, right. people need to see you're willing to come into where they are if you're comfortable. And say, hey, so I'm sitting down, I'm laughing, we're talking about the Buckeyes, we're talking about the Browns, we're talking about, hey, you're doing this for your kids, I'm doing this for my kids too as well. And so we got around that whole room, the, and the Dem Club there was, they were proud. They were like, we never seen a Dem walk the whole place. We walked and shook every single person's hand, all 200. Mm -hmm. And we got to the end, and I remember a council member, I gave them the literature who, in, in, in Broadview Heights, and I said, nice to meet you. And he said, well, you know, I can't take this. You know, I, I'm a Republican. We can't really do that. I said, oh, okay. His wife was next to him, and she said, what are you running for? I said, I'm running for state rep, you know, first time, doing my whole spiel. I give her, and she says, can I have a piece of your literature? Mm. I'm like, yeah, sure. She said, because in our household, we vote for the best person. Mm. And he just froze. And I said, <laughs> okay. Well, I, I know who makes the decisions in this household. Right, right, right. Uh, and incidentally, he ended up asking for an endorsement two years later. And so as a Republican uh, from us. And so we took that same thought process into being elected. Um, we went. We did town hall meetings in every single community. Mm -hmm. uh, we continue to do postcards in a lot of different communities. We did a lot of outreach there. You know, and a lot of times we went to the communities. We knew we had the biggest challenge to go there first. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, people told us you could never get votes in Brexville, Bro Bro uh, Broadview Heights, Seven Hills. I'm proud of the fact of outside of share, we've gotten the most percentage of votes there in the 43 or 45 percent range. Um, we were able to run up the score in areas that are traditionally Democratic. And that's allowed us to then, in our first term, to get a bill passed in the law that the governor signed, which was a job uh, creation bill. And that was a bipartisan piece of legislation with the Republican. Mm -hmm. um, I would, as ranking member on education, worked with really two uh, strong uh, Republican chairs, but we got a lot of stuff done, even though we may have disagreed on things. And so mm -hmm. it's where do you find that commonality? Where can we work? Um, and I always tell people, you know, where we agree, let's work together. And where we disagree, I'm going to give I'm going to give you the business on that. But that's okay. That's how these things work. And the, the, the biggest piece is building relationships, right? both on the Democratic side, but also on the Republican side. We have gerrymandering coming up again. Mm -hmm. What are you looking at when it comes to your district uh, when they draw new lines? Do you think that do you think that they're out to get you? And they, they, I'm just gonna be straight. Like, do you think yeah. that they're gonna be out to get you? Do you yeah. think that they're gonna try to get Solon um, and that area that you represent right now red again? And if they do draw a district that might not be favorable to you, mm -hmm. 
are you going to apply the same strategies? Are you, you have something else? And I, I don't want you to tell us your whole <laughs> game plan or anything, but people are thinking yeah. about it. You know, you're thinking about it. The people mm-hmm. in Solon, your representative, yeah. the people you represent are thinking about it. Yeah. What if? Yeah. So in 2020, we ran for re-election. They spent a lot of money against us, probably close to a million dollars against us. So another 10 to 1. Uh, but even this time, we raised about 320000 on our oh, side. Oh, damn. Okay. Um, Not bad. But, but they, you Once know, you're the incumbent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the 100%. They, they change a little bit. People take some phone calls. Maybe they wouldn't take it before. 100%. But, um, but yeah, you know, we we amplified that. We, we did more digital. We knocked on more doors. We built more mm-hmm. relationships. Um, and we also were aggressive. We really... The mistake I think some people make when they're trying to flip a seat is they originally they originally start off saying, "Okay, I want to I want to win. I'm going to first go and try to convince every Republican to be on my side, and they moderate their message." We believe something different. First, you build up your base, mm-hmm. and you make sure the base feels loved. Mm-hmm. That's where you go first. So you make sure your base is feeling strong. They feel engaged. They're ready to rock. They're ready to roll. You mm-hmm. Don't take them for granted. Then you go out and say, "Okay, there's." The largest percentage of our district is independent. Mm-hmm. Then our next step is, okay, we're going to go out there. Ohio's that way, like 68%, yep, exactly. right? Yep. So you yeah. want to get those folks leaning and some who are lean right. And then there's some Republicans. I remember knocking on the door of someone in Hunting Valley, and he said, you know, I, you know you're know, you the only second Democrat I ever voted for. I voted for Jimmy Carter and you. Otherwise, I voted Republican. Oh, damn, okay. <laughs> That's a stretch. Yeah. That is a stretch. Wow. But I said, but I'll take the vote. Uh, and so – you know, we really focused on, all right, let's try to expand it. I'm proud of the fact we flipped Chagrin, uh, Chagrin Falls. Mm-hmm. You would never think Chagrin Falls is a Democratic territory. Uh, but we were able to really turn into that by mm-hmm. going door-to-door, building relationships. And so our strategy was we can't control how they draw the maps. But what we want to do is wherever we are, we want to build up such relationships that, A, we either make them think twice or it's wherever you put us, we're viable and in play. And that's really how we tried to, to think about this. And so we were District 6. Now we're District 19. It's a little bit more favorable in my third term. But as you mentioned, they're going to draw the maps again. And we don't have any idea how it's going to go. What we do know is it's a presidential year. They're going to want to have maps that are favorable to them. And we'll be prepared. You know, we'll, we'll make sure Solon's a home base. Although there's funny stories about how a couple iterations of the map, they tried to divide the map across the street from where I live. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I remember going to the grocery store and other places. They're like, what, what would that mean? I said, well, that means I wouldn't represent you across the street. It means you have somebody yeah. else. Yep. So people were ticked about that. But shout out to Solon residents. They went out to those um, hearings for the maps and gave the map drawers the business about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it mattered. Um, yeah. and, 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 you know, I, I think another important point, too, also is regardless of how the district looks and what they change, on top of all the all the different things we tried to do, you also still have to do the fundamentals as well. That that can't be ignored as well. You know, you have to have a strong message communications plan, do the field work. And to, to Rep. Robinson's point, uh, when he was able to sway voters, part of that is if you look at the science of campaigning, someone is is much more likely to vote for your candidate if they talk to someone in person, like at a door knock and canvassing. And they're even much more likely to vote for you if they actually meet the candidate, mm-hmm. that personal level. And Hitting those fundamentals of fundraising and everything is is always at the core, even if you try new things. And I just a, a quick antidote. When I was in grad school for political management, uh, I had a professor who I, I don't know his political affiliation, but he very much worked in the establishment side of media buying. And he told told my class one day, well, listen, as you all go off and run campaigns and do this and that, keep this in mind when you're deciding whether or not to do what we always do or to do new things. If you do what we've always done and you win, good job. You did your job right. If you do what we've always done and you lose, there is no way you could win that race. Mm. And if you do something new and you win, 
you got lucky. And if you do something new and you lost, you're a bad campaign manager and you deserve to lose. Interesting. That's the establishment sort of mindset of campaigning. And depending on how you talk to who you talk to, there's a lot of people that would agree with that notion. Yeah, we have to do what we always do. But I think to our benefit, we did is we stuck to the fundamentals that maybe some of those more establishment people would expect. But then we expanded upon that and mm-hmm. did try some new things. Because at the end of the day, you look back at the Obama race. They did new things that were never done before, right. and now they're now those practices are now considered the fundamental basics because they were successful. Clubs and candidates. You mentioned uh, Eva from the Solon Dems, the president of Solon Dems, um, and then you mentioned uh, Sugar and Falls flipping that from red to blue, mm-hmm. and we've seen that across uh, Cuyahoga County. Mm-hmm. Uh, places that we thought traditionally were red are now blue. Yeah, candidates have to be good. Mm-hmm. Campaigns have to be ran well, mm-hmm. but also Democratic clubs in those areas also have to be uh, competent as well. So can you tell me the, the intersection between a good campaign, a good candidate, and a good Democratic club? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, full disclosure, I'm the city leader for Solon Glen Willow Democrats, but um, having Eva there, first time at Eva was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to have a, a Democratic club presidents who know uh, the pulse of their community, know how to mobilize people, know how to get things done on short notice, know how to get your message done. Um, the best Democratic clubs, like um, Councilwoman Eloise Harden and her group out in Oakwood, they have it down to such a science. Mm-hmm. All we had to do was give them the information. They said, come to a couple of events, but we got this. Right. Literally, I would knock on doors. People would say, oh, yeah, I got your literature like twice by now. <laughs> and I heard about you at church, and I know what you're all about. Yeah, yeah let's let's run with you. And so that's that's critical. Right. Um, and, you know, shout out to Chairman Dave Brock and Executive Vice Chair Juanita Brent. It's also a state rep and colleague. They really made a big emphasis on Democratic clubs. Mm-hmm. We were at our strongest maybe 10 or 15 years ago. That's really what, at the heart of what we, we were about. Put aside Jimmy Demore and all the scandals there. The, the Democratic clubs are the heartbeat. If you're able to go in a community and there's an established pulse there, right. it makes the world of a difference than if you show up and say, which I'm sure you saw in areas where you were campaigning, they hadn't seen a Democrat in 15, 20 years. Right, right. <laughs> and, right. And, and, you know, and it's hard for a candidate to sell camera to build support, give votes, and also build a Democratic infrastructure right. at the same mm-hmm. time. You know, I think, I think that to, to that is when you have a Democratic club, look, if you're in a town and you're trying to figure out how to navigate politically through mm-hmm. the world, if there's issues coming up, you look to other people. Yep. If the, and whoever is there, you're going to ask them, talk to them, mm-hmm. and figure out how you're going to feel about a certain situation. Because these situations are hard to figure yeah. out. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. like I come in believing this or this about a situation. You talk to people, you try to figure it out, and I go, yeah, you know what? That's kind of how I, how I lean. Yeah. And if the only person in your town is a Republican then you're going to lean Republican because there are going to be people that are going to answer your emails, pick up the phone. It's how, who you're going to hang out with. It's the clubs that are going to be meeting consistently. They're going to be passing the lit. Yes, of course, you're going to have a red town if there's no other alternatives, mm-hmm. right? And so, that, so that's what I find is like mm-hmm. if you have a committed Dem club or other clubs of any kind of like moderate or progressive or whatever, you can find a lot of people coming out to find where they fit politically. And also you bring people out of the woodworks Mm -hmm. because if you are the only Democrat, you think how many times have you been to a city and they said, Oh my God, I didn't know there was other Democrats in the city. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you're like, and then they start coming out of the woodworks. Yeah. It's like, Oh, there's a lot of Democrats there. Perfect example is Valley view. I remember Mm -hmm. we did a a mobilized day to knock on doors Mm -hmm. And they were shocked how many people came out the woodwork to a woman's driveway to mobilize to go knock on doors. And a lot of it was we didn't even know there were that many Democrats in town. Right. And so that's the importance of the clubs and building mm-hmm. that foundation and that layer there. L- last question. 
before we wrap it up, um, and I think this is the most important question because we have a lot of people that are new candidates. Yeah. And I'm going to actually ask Dakota this first. Is, is There's a lot of new candidates. We're coming into a presidential year. There's going to be a lot of seats that people want to run for or going to be open or, or contentious and so on and so forth. There's going to be a lot of advice being given to them, and people are going to be asking a lot of advice from a lot of people. You did this. Mm-hmm. What would you tell them? Well... I think one of the things I'd first tell them is there's no reason to start off too big. I think some mistakes that uh, certain people that want to become an elected official come is they they try to jump to too big of an office too quickly. And you, hey, hey, this is somebody who ran first time for a congressional seat. Uh, well, so hey, hey, this, this hurts. This there, is personal. There may have been some other factors there, Matt. I don't know, but but but, but, but the thing that I've seen at least from successful elected officials that that a lot of them with the exception of maybe the ones that have big money and that are sort of plugged into the establishment the rest of them they started off a little bit smaller they started off school board council and they worked their way up you know uh they started you know maybe uh and maybe they didn't win all those races but then they built their name recognition and then they ran for state rep state senator maybe they did win those maybe they didn't and then they got up there and at that point They've developed uh, fundraising connections. They've developed uh, connections with just the uh, the activists in the community to build field work. You work your way up. It, you can't assume, you know, as much as I would love to think that we could all just run for office the first time, win, and save the world, which I still want people to believe, you have to accept that it takes time. And I think that's the first thing I would say is that you have to put in the long-term work. There's not going to be a quick fix if you want to be an elected official. So Right. I'm going, to, I'm going to snap back with that a little bit because there's the term career politician. Mm. If you start early and you keep working your way up, next thing you know, you're a state rep, a state senator, you're running for Congress, you've been there for 20, 25 years, and people are going like, oh, this career politician. You said that that's the best way to do it. Is there is the, there seems like a dichotomy that you have to deal with then, right? There's some truth of that. Yeah, no, there, I think part of what it is in that example is that some people – they they lose their way, and that's when they become the career politician instead of the elected official. Mm. You know, the statesman. That's just a question. Even, even Phil went back with that. He, he's like, "Oh, damn." He, okay, <laughs> that, that, that's that was, just that, that was some knowledge there. All right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you look at say, for example, someone like U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown. He he worked his way up to be a U.S. senator, and I I feel pretty confident. Say, I don't think he lost his way. He still seems to care about the important issues. You know, but. You look at some other elected officials who, yeah, they've you could call them a career politician, and they seem pretty disconnected. It does happen. It's a risk, but I think that still doesn't change the fact that we you got to work your your way up. I mean, we do need new people in politics. I don't want to dissuade anyone, but I just don't think people should try to jump so high so quickly. Work your way up. You're going to have more success, and then you do more good in the long run, assuming you don't lose your way. Phil, same question to you, yeah. but from a candidate's point of view. Yeah. I, I think it's important to, one, be active in the party. Okay. Um, so if someone wants to run, I would say step one, are you active with your local Dem club? Are you mm-hmm. active with the party? Do you, have you helped any other people on campaigns? Have you been politically active? If your answer is no to all those, okay, then you have to go in there and kind of do an assessment of, oh, all right, well, how am I going to address those those voids in, in, in what I'm bringing to the table to be able to be an effective candidate? Right. Um, and then you don't want to meet people to, for the first time when you're running. So it's like, hey, nice to meet you, Matt. I know you're council president. Oh, by the way, will you endorse me? And so it's like, how do you build those relationships? Um, whether people go big or small in race, I think a lot of that's case by case with the candidate. Um, some are good enough they're going to do it. And sometimes another thing that we have to talk about as Democrats, we have to run everywhere. 
mm. which sometimes mm. means we're going to run people who that's like the really first time cool. I ran in 2016, we hadn't had them really run there um, who had a shot at winning based on the demographics, the campaign team, all that kind of stuff that goes into it. The other thing is, okay, so are you active? Two, do you have a message? Why would right. someone pick you over somebody else? If you can't articulate that in 30 seconds, mm-hmm. you're probably going to be toast in the campaign. And so how do you do that? And then two, how do you build an organization that can adapt with you as you grow and get better as a candidate to go out there and, and mobilize folks in the community? I just want to – and I know that was the last question, and I always do this, and I always say that's the last question, and then I talk to more <laughs> for another 10, 15 minutes. I, we're not, we're trying, I'm not going to try to do that this time, but you make a very good point is run – someone everywhere, mm-hmm. even though it's a losing battle. And I look at um, different races like in uh, congressional districts with Bob Lada or mm-hmm. uh, Jim Jordan. <laughs> Those are hard races, but there yeah. are people running there and they're running mm-hmm. to win, even though the odds are really stacked mm-hmm. against them. What do you say to a candidate, uh, their their time, mm-hmm. their the money, mm-hmm. the mental health, mm-hmm. their family, mm-hmm. the attacks from the opposition to run in a, in a race that they're probably going to lose. How do you how do you get somebody to run everywhere, and what do you say to them? Yeah, I mean, so a perfect example when we talk about Congress is uh, Steve or, or State House or anywhere. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, you know, Steve Shabbat, former con- uh, congressman, Greg Lansman is now the congressman down there in Cincinnati. Think about all the people over the years that ran for that seat. Right. Each person though laid a brick or uh, as a piece of the foundation mm. and finally built that bridge. That's a very good point for Greg Lansman to go right across it and That's have a, a very message good that worked. If all those folks, we're talking about Mayor Aftab in, in Cincinnati, we're talking about um, the woman who ran after him, name escapes me right now. Each of those were fantastic candidates. Right. It just so happens, a lot of dynamics, what it may be, they weren't able to win. But that laid that foundation. Without them, without those activists being excited, mm-hmm. geared up, plugged in, there is not a Greg Landsman as congressman. Um, there's not Sheriff Brown winning again there because there's someone whipping up that base to then say, okay, right. we may not be able to get Steve Shabbat out, but we got Sherrod. And so all these things mm-hmm. play a, a part a part in it. So I would say you're part of a larger tapestry, if you will, of what we're trying to do as Democrats. So it's important for people to run. I, um, it's important to sit down with your family and say, I don't know if this is going to work or not, uh, but I'm going to give it my best shot. The biggest test I always tell candidates, you got to do the mirror test. When you look in the mirror, do you see someone who could do this role? And do you believe you can? Mm-hmm. And if you don't, those two things don't match, on your worst day when you're sitting there with your team around you, you'll never convince them. Right. You have to be sometimes even almost delusional to say, I think I can win. Um, right, you know? right. And so no, no one would ever have thought, <laughs> you know, we're going to be a 40-year career politician than Jim Trakis, who, you know, been active as a community, been mm-hmm. almost all these li- different elected official, elected positions. There were mayors who sat across from me and said, you've got to be delusional. What is a 30-something-year-old guy going to do? 100%. Uh, who's black guy, white wife, living in Sola, who's a vegan. Okay, mm-hmm. good luck. That'll never happen. Right. Um, but we were confident that we had a message that could connect. We were confident that there were so many people. And we reached out to all the campaigns who had ran before. And we asked them what worked, what didn't work. Um, would you be willing to be active in what we're doing? That's another mistake I think candidates make. They come in and say, okay, I'm here. I've arrived. I'm the answer. And it's like, did you talk to the three other people who ran before you? Maybe right. you could learn something from them that they could tell you. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost showing that respect to here's what you did. You're critical to what you want to do. Um, and make sure you're active and have a message. Mm-hmm. Yep. The, it's that long-term effort that's just so critical. Because even if you're, say, running in a race like against, say, Jim Jordan, where it's a gerrymandered district, the odds are stacked, to get, stacked against you. He's one of the top Republican fundraisers in the state. Even if you don't win, you're building the groundwork in the future for when someone can beat him. Districts change. Redistricting rules might change. 
demographics change, people's habits change, but you have to build that work. And even if there's candidates that can't be Jim Jordan, as they're out there building infrastructure in those counties and those areas, getting people enthusiastic and showing them there's still a voice counter to his, once the right elements come forward, then it could all come together. So it's real. that's why it's so important that there is someone running in every spot and not just every state rep seat or every member of Congress, every county spot. You know, right. Where I'm from in Geauga County, there's several uh, posts that sometimes there's no Democratic candidate. Yep. And I know that the county party is working hard to change it, and that's good because at least you have the other voice. People hear the other side, and eventually, as things change, there's an opening based on that groundwork. Those, those, that's such good advice. I mean – to look at that as more of a holistic picture, because I mean, if you're a candidate, I, 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 we know firsthand, you take it really personally when you lose. Oh, you yeah. don't, and you don't see like the whole bigger yeah. picture of like, did I lay that one brick? And if you can walk away from that race, mm-hmm. even though you lost, got your ass handed to you, and you, and you can know that you laid another brick to that foundation that somebody could eventually walk, run across. That that's important, and that's yeah. a really good. That's a very good statement to end on. I think so. I want to say thank you both for coming on, uh, talking about. Your race is flipping red to blue, and we have a lot of work coming up here 23, 24, and we'll be talking much more, I think. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for having us, Matt. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, really appreciate it, too. Thank you for listening to the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party's podcast, Cuyahoga Today. Tune in next week for our latest show and find out all of the latest information that's happening right here in your community. Show your support by going to www dot c-u-y-d-e-m dot com and make a contribution do you have any questions about the show is there a topic you want us to cover or is there someone you want us to interview if so you can reach out to me at m-d-i-e-m-e-r at c-u-y-d-e-m dot com that's mdemer at kydem dot com thank you again for joining our podcast until next week